Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. On today's episode, Rachel Melanta returns to discuss the new Britney Spears documentary and I give my hot take on the new trailer for The Batman. My name is Justin Hamilton, otherwise known as Vengeance, here at Big Squid. Welcome to a new Big Squid podcast where today Rachel Melanta will be talking about not only the new Netflix doco, Britney vs. Spears, but she also catches me up on the latest green card malarkey she's had to deal with while living in Canada. You might not remember this, but Rachel won a green card and was uh, over in Canada. She was meant to be studying impro and doing all sorts of stuff. And then, of course, COVID hit and they've had uh, much... Whew, longer lockdown than we've endured in Australia. And, you know, then Donald Trump, shock horror, changed the rules, changed how the green card would work. She's had an accident where she slipped on some ice that turned into a trip to the hospital. It's been a challenging time for Rachel, but there's some light at the end of the tunnel, which I think you'll be pretty happy to hear about later in the podcast. Great suggestion as well about the Britney Spears doco. It's not something that I've really paid too much attention to. I've been aware of it. I haven't really been that across it. And while I won't give away what I think of the doco. It's still interesting to see uh, what's been happening to one of our uh, brightest pop stars, I guess, or pop icons, even if you're not a fan. You know, she is ubiquitous for the last uh, couple of decades. So anyway, it's it's an interesting chat. And uh, yes, a little bit of a spoiler. Things are looking up for Rachel. And that is a bonus. That's really good. She deserves some good luck, right? Uh, I'm also bringing back my Big Squid segment, Hamo's Hot Take, where I'll give you some thoughts on the new trailer for The Batman. It's funny, I watched it 
what? Uh, look, to be honest, time is a little bit uh, broken these days. Was it a week ago or a week and a half ago or something like that when it dropped? And I kind of watched it and I had some thoughts and then uh, I initially was going to talk about it with Ben, but I forgot that Ben doesn't like to watch trailers, which I totally understand. I'd never judge anyone for wanting to avoid trailers. So... I didn't really have anyone to bounce my thoughts off and then I just needed to sit on it for a little bit to just make sure I knew exactly what I wanted to say. But that will be coming up just in a sec. Before we do that, we launched our Patreon only a couple of weeks ago. We're very happy with the amount of subscribers who have already signed up. Like, you know, you, you don't take any of it for granted, but uh, people have been uh, super keen and uh, I really appreciate that. We even released our first Patreon-only episode last week, a Q&A edition with Rove McManus that was fueled by the questions of our subscribers. So they, they asked the questions, and uh, that's all we did to uh, generate that podcast. It was meant to be a little 30-minute edition. It went well over that, but it was great. Really good questions, too. So that was a big hit with the subscribers, and I look forward to recording more of them. Head over to the Patreon page and look up Justin Hamilton Big Squid, and you'll be able to find us there. Uh, As part of being a Patreon subscriber, you will have an episode that is dedicated to you, and it's all about you. And today's shout-out goes to Ryan Moore. Ryan was one of the early sign-ups to not just the Patreon, actually, but uh, to the podcast itself. He has been a lot of fun on our private Facebook page and he engages in all aspects of the podcast. So, Ryan, thanks, mate. It is a real treat to have you a part of the community. Uh, I always enjoy the messages that you send and uh, I really look forward to hearing from you in the future. I hope you enjoy this episode and I uh, hope you and, uh, you know, your family can kind of get out and about now, now that we're lifting uh, restrictions. So uh, I hope you're in a good place and uh, I think you'll enjoy this next bit. And this next bit is... Hamo's Hot Take. I just don't give a shit about a new Batman movie. I know. I know that sounds really weird coming from me, but I just kind of don't. I think there are just too many superhero movies. I don't know how this has happened. If you told me as a kid there would be stacks of heaps of superhero movies, I would have thought that was great, but I didn't realise that's all that would be made. (laughs) Like, I know that's a mild exaggeration, but there's just superhero movie after superhero movie after superhero movie, and there's a formula to them now, and they're just... Even the best ones kind of come and go from your brain before you've even really had time to contemplate them. I'm kind of fucking over Batman. The way the character has developed over the years, I just don't find the Cape Crusader that interesting anymore, especially since this version of Batman just wouldn't let you call him the Caped Crusader. Between the Nolan trilogy, Have a Drink, and Grant Morrison's run in the comics, I feel like All there is to be said about Bruce Wayne and his quest for justice has been said. This is just for me. I'm not saying this is for you. This is just how I feel. In the Nolan movies, I finally gave a shit about Bruce Wayne. Often considered an afterthought, Bruce was finally front and centre, played beautifully by Christian Bale. There is too much made about the growly Batman voice, which obscures the nuance that Bale brought to his performance. He plays different versions of the character at different points in his life. He plays different versions of the character that different people see 
This is one of the reasons I love The Dark Knight Rises. I like the idea of a Bruce Wayne who does everything he can and then leaves his alter ego behind. Maybe that says something about me. I'm a big believer in leaving the party early. (laughs) No one's had a better time past 3 a.m. and I don't think anyone's had a better time as Batman well into their 40s. I reckon that would start to get a little bit ouchy after a while. If you're invested in the man, then the finale of The Dark Knight Rises makes sense. It reaches an emotional conclusion that is satisfying. He's finally a complete person. Hey, if you prefer a character who doesn't grow but remains stagnant, who continues to fight crime dressed as a bat, then this ending might not satisfy you. I was totally into watching Bruce surround himself with different types of father figures, a character who had his morals questioned, who had to overcome adversity both physically and emotionally, a man who must not just overcome fear but learn to be a complete person who would then have to embrace that fear and in doing so become much more alive than any moment in his life. There's a lot more to the Dark Knight trilogy. You've heard me bang on about it before, so I'll leave that one there. At the same time I was watching Nolan's Batman, I was reading Grant Morrison's run on Batman, where they approached the character as if everything in the 80 years of publication actually happened. Forgotten characters were reintroduced. Old wacky ideas were updated. It was gritty. It was pop art. It was funny. It was down in the dirt amongst Gotham. It was a story where Bruce Wayne travelled from the beginning of time to the end of the universe and in doing so created his own legacy. Bruce Wayne took the Dark Knight concept and went global with Batman Incorporated, the bat symbol becoming a beacon of hope throughout the world with every country having their own Batman affiliate. When I interviewed Grant, they said they tried to bring the character into the light but by the end had realised he would always dwell in the dark. At the end of the run Grant had said all they had to say about the Batman and I was pretty much done too. Look, since then we've had some seminal runs with new writers and artists that have been really popular but they just didn't appeal to me. I wasn't a fan of what was going on in the comics. I wasn't a fan of the Ben Affleck version. A Bruce Wayne that wakes up and drinks wine from a bottle is not a Batman that I can get into. I don't want to get into a superhero that can only be stopped from murdering another superhero when he realises their mothers share a name. Oh, no thank you. I've reached a natural conclusion with the character and for me, I would prefer that it just ended in the way that King Arthur does at the end of his reign of Camelot or Robin Hood once he has fired his last arrow in Sherwood Forest. The character has been explored, deconstructed, put back together again and for me there's nothing new that interests me in the character. Time for other people to get into it. Have a whole lot of other kids grow up. It's a children's story. That's what we have to remember about comics. They're meant to be children's stories. They're meant to be inspiring. Let other kids find him. I'm kind of done. Also, add to the fact that we have so many versions of the character running around. The problem with introducing a multiverse to storytelling is that it devalues the characters we love to follow. Who cares if this Batman dies when another Batman is playing across the street? I'm a fan of the Michael Keaton Batman, but I haven't washed the taste out of my mouth of the Snyder Batman and a Batman who swears at a cosplay Joker (laughs) and it looks like he has to wear a grinder to bed or he's going to grind his teeth into dust. Like, I'm just getting rid of that one. Now I'm accepting this one and now there's going to be an even new one. Like, 
Would you enjoy the adventures of James Bond if there were a bunch of Bonds running around at the same time? Would you like to see a Jason Bourne with Matt Damon and a new reboot of Jason Bourne with Tom Holland at the same time? I don't know if that's happening. I just pulled those names out of the ether to make a point. Even Doctor Who uses the idea of different Doctors sparingly, even though the idea of many Doctors is built into the DNA of the Time Lord. Just one version of the character at a time, please. And... Give it some space. Give it some space between them. These characters are timeless. And if you want them to be interesting and if you want them to be written correctly so you can have them reflect the times they exist, you need to give them some space. You just need to let them breathe a little bit. Yet we keep rifling through these different versions of Batman and who can honestly tell the difference between them anymore? I'm ready to return to the pop art Batman. I want to see an updated version of the Adam West Batman, the groovy Batman, the Batman that isn't afraid to do the Batusi. Give me a Batman series where Matt Berry is Batman, Peter Davidson is Robin, Aquafina is Batgirl, Issa Rae is Catwoman, Matt Lucas is Egghead, Zach Galifianakis is the Penguin, Andy Samberg as the Joker, Terry Crews as Bane, Bill Hader as the Riddler, Ed Helms as Commissioner Gordon, and Eddie Izzard as Alfred. And yes, I think she'd be hilarious as Alfred. Alfred and have her dress the way she wants to dress and don't have anybody blink an eye. Don't have anybody mention it. Why can't Alfred dress the way that Eddie Izzard wants to dress? This is a universe where people dress up as a bat and fight crime. It'll be great. We've been locked inside dealing with COVID. I want to laugh. I don't need another Batman who caves a thug's face in while telling him he's indeed vengeance. I want bright colours. I want pop art sensibilities. I want to have a good time. So I'm not really interested in this version of Batman at all. Now, the question is, am I going to see it? Well, yes, of course I am. I know. Hello, Captain Contradictions. Matt Reeves is an excellent director. Cloverfield was a fun cinema experience. Let Me In was a movie I wanted to dislike because I loved the original film, Let the Right One In, but he did such a good job, I ended up enjoying his version of the film too. His two Planet of the Apes films were also excellent, so yes, I'm curious to see what he can do. Then there's the cast. I am literally a fan of all of these actors. Colin Farrell, Paul Dano, Jeffrey Wright, Zoe Kravitz, Andy Serkis, John Turturro, Peter Sarsgaard, Barry Keehan, Rupert Penry Jones, and how can I go past my guy, Robert Patterson? I can't. I love him. I want to see what he does. They've sucked me in. I will see this at the cinema ASAP. It looks pretty good. Ah, just when I thought I was out, they dangled this cast in front of me and pull me back in, slap me about, sit me down and dare me to not enjoy this. I stand by my thoughts. I stand by my rant. I still wish they'd make other kinds of movies, other kind of original big budget films. I'm a fan of gangster films, thrillers, romantic comedies, historical dramas, dramedies, you name it, I love it. I want more variety in my life. I don't need another Batman. So I can't wait to see you at the cinema on opening day. And that's... Hamo's Hot Take. Whew. I feel like I need a cigarette after that. <laughs> All right. Let's take this opportunity to do a 180 as we bring Rachel Melanta in to not only talk about the Britney versus Spear doco, but how life has changed for her in the last few weeks in Canada. 
So we have a, a, a congratulations to make to you because after however long you have finally, finally gotten your hands on that filthy green card to America. <laughs> can, you, can you tell uh, people who are listening what the process is like? I know it's a lot, but in a truncated way of from when you first applied for it, because I know it's been a bit different for you because you've been in lockdown as well. Yeah, um, just to be clear going into this, I had a weird scenario. Like, it's not supposed to go the way it went for me. Yes. No, no, I know. Yeah. That's why I was like, this is this is different. Yeah, um, so I managed to somehow win the green card lottery in Australia. Yeah. And I've had friends previously, um, pretty much what happens when you win the green card lottery is you get a ranking number and yep. uh, then they select slightly more than they have because a lot of people get rejected, um, usually for reasons that Australians are usually accepted. Um, and basically you um, then get called to the embassy, you show them your birth certificate and HSC, and they say, congratulations, here's a green card, and then you move forward with your life. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much how it is. You're supposed to win the lottery. Um, well, I won the lottery. in. Um, I found out in June of 2020. Yep. Um, I'd applied in the October of 2019. Yep. Um, and then Trump put a travel ban in place, which was interpreted by the Department of State at that time to mean that it was a visa, visa issuance ban, not right. a entry ban, which is illegal. Um, that was challenged in a lawsuit by the year before me. Yep. Uh, it was proven to be illegal. Despite that, the Department of State decided that they wouldn't comply with that. Because why not? Right. Basically, over the last, what, over 18 months, it has been just bans. Then the then Biden won and the ban was lifted. But regardless, they then claimed they didn't have capacity to interview because of the COVID backlog. Then they deliberately just decided that they weren't going to interview at all. Uh, so it has basically been 18 months of, you have a green card. No, you don't. You have a green card again. No, you don't. Yes, you do. No, you don't. Oh, yes, you can have it again. No, you can't. And it's just been, to say I have cried over this would be the most biggest understatement of the year. It has been so stressful. I understand the U.S. immigration system on a level I wish I did not. <laughs> yeah. It's just been crazy, but I ha was very, very, very lucky. I mean, this is without question the easiest way to get a green card in the world. Um, if you aren't lucky enough to go through the diversity lottery, I mean, you could be playing this game for 12 years yeah. and it's there's a lot more hoops to jump through. Yeah. Um, and I'm very, very fortunate to have been in a position where I could join lawsuits. And, yeah, I was very uh, – I have come out of this very lucky in the end. But how it ended was um, we won the lawsuit on the 9th of September. It had to be um, processed by the 30th of September. And there is usually a six-week window between when you're um, invited to interview and when you interview. So when we won on the 9th of September – even with a win, I was pretty much sure it was dead. Like right. I was pretty sure it wasn't going to happen. We didn't have time. And then on the 10th, the Department of State responded to our win, basically saying they weren't going to comply anyway. So then I was like, okay, it's officially dead. Like it's not happening. I had kind of just been so beaten down by it by this point um, and just so emotionally exhausted. I was ready to give it up. And yep. then on the 11th, 
I was flying to Alberta. I decided I was going on a holiday, see summer Canada before I somehow make my way back to Australia. So at 9 a.m. on the 11th, I got on a plane from Toronto to Edmonton, landed in Edmonton, still on the tarmac, didn't even take off my seatbelt yet, just turned my phone on uh, off airplane mode and got an email saying, we can interview you in six days, come to Montreal. Right. And I was like, and I'm like sitting in Edmonton and you, ha- I had to get back to Toronto to get a um, medical and everything first. So I like ran into the airport and up to this poor little Air Canada girl and she's just like, I need you to send me back. Can you send me right. back? And she's like, oh God, this girl's insane. Yeah. They were amazing and managed to get me on the next flight. So- on Monday, the 11th Sorry, what's of Sorry, what's, what's the time of the flight that you just took? I um, About five hours. Um, right. So, yeah. yeah, on the 11th, I spent about $1,000 in last-minute flights uh, and spent 10 hours on a plane, on planes back and forth, yeah. so that I could spend 14 minutes in Edmonton Airport. <laughs> yeah. So, what do you think of Edmonton? Oh, my God, it was beautiful. My favourite yeah. part was Gate 50. Yeah, yeah, everyone talks about Gate 50, yeah. Security was a highlight, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so bizarre, isn't it? Uh, it's so crazy how, and then, like, yeah, a few days later, I was in Montreal, processed, and then, like, they told me on the spot, it's approved. So right. it's just crazy that you can fight for, like, literal years and go through that much strain, and it feels like it's dragging and it's taking so much time, and then it felt like in the space of under a week, it went from a definite no, I'm moving to Melbourne, to here's your green card. Yeah, so it was right. a bit insane, um, very overwhelming, and I am. It's only sort of just starting to hit me now. I think it like for a little minute I was like, wait, but it's kind of crazy. I hadn't actually prepared anything in America because I think it was my way of protecting my heart. Was like, don't yeah. look into it at all. Yeah. And then I like got home from Montreal and I was like, I move in like three weeks and I know nothing about where I'm going. So. Right, right. So how's that process going? Have you found somewhere that uh, looks interesting? Yeah, great. Got a house. I'm moving to Chicago. Yep. Um, got somewhere to live, everything like that. Health insurance makes me want to kill myself, but it's health Ironically. insurance. Just, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, just a ride. Um, I'm working that out. And, yeah, so there's just a few logistical things. But, honestly, most of it from now on is I've got to be there to sort it out, you know. Okay. So, But I'm very, very excited. I fly out on the 27th. Oh, finally. So was your visa in Canada uh, about to run out as well? So yes. you had that ticking down while not knowing if the green card was going to kick in. Yes. And then on top of all of that, from what I remember the last time we talked, you couldn't even necessarily get back to Australia for anything st- less than what ten grand or something. I still can't get back to Australia. Um, yeah. Australia still—they're not really flying out. Um, yeah. Yes, my—I fly and leave Chicago. Uh, sorry, I go to Chicago on the twenty-seventh. My visa in Canada ran out on the fifth of November, so we were really right. cutting it wow. fine. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was close, but I didn't realize it was yeah. that close. Well. I had started planning because I kind of looked into how to get back to Australia and it was looking like it really wasn't an option for the short term. You have to like join a list through the Department of Foreign Affairs and they used to give a basic estimation of the time frame. They don't anymore, which to me means 
you're going to be a hot minute. But so it could have been months. So I'd started looking into my options because my fear was they were going to throw me onto a visitor permit in Canada because they can't like deport you, you know. I wish they would deport me. That'd save me some money. Yeah, right. That'd be great. (laughs) So and my worry was then like I just have to what be here and not work. I mean, how does that work? So it's it was going to be messy. Um, And so it's kind of crazy how it's all worked out right in the nick of time so oh, like it's if yeah. if it was in a movie or something you'd go oh, that you know as if it would have gotten that close but it did <laughs> it really did it got real close it was kind of crazy um i've yeah so i'm 27th provides me with a little bit of time just in case anything does go wrong um just fl- just flights in general but from here to chicago is an hour and a half flight like i can't yeah. see anything going wrong but I do need to be COVID tested. And I'd like, I'm vaccinated, of course, but like you have to be COVID tested before you get on the plane and anything. Yeah. Um, so it just gives me that leeway. I don't know, just in case I get a false positive or I don't know, I am positive, you know? Yeah. It, yeah. So just, it gives me some leeway. So what's the uh, situation over there now? Because uh, you had like, it's, it's not lockdown anymore. I'm seeing you, <laughs> is it like a partial lockdown? Cause you, you seem to be doing a lot more in the last okay. few months <laughs> or are you breaking the law? Um, kind of be a little column. No, I'm, yeah. I'm not breaking the law. <laughs> so it's really sort of hard to explain is in like, yes, we're still in a lockdown, but we have a lot more freedom. It's just that we had no freedoms for so long. We had a yeah. 17 month continuous. Yeah. Go. So it was like, I think, we, I mean, for example, like I, um, manage a cafe and we still only have three tables in there because we're not allowed to have right. people inside. We still have full, like, mask mandates, everything like that, like, are still in effect. Um, there's still a lot of stuff that's very locked down and still a lot of limits on stuff, which has made, like, trying to see a lot of Toronto before I leave hard. So yeah. it's sort of one of those things. Um, a lot of stuff is opening um, for vaccinated people, um, but... Not everything. Like, it's still not great in a lot of ways. Like, it's right. it's just that um, it seems great because we were doing nothing for so long. And, yeah, yeah so I think it's just finding that balance. But, yeah, like, I mean, because I'm vaccinated, I'm able to go and see, like, Blue Jays games and things like that now because yeah. we're allowed in the stadium. But um, we have a pretty good vaccination rate in Canada. Like, it's high. So that's good. That's good. Um, yeah. And what what's the uh, COVID numbers like there? Yeah, not good, but because uh, everyone's vaccinated and the only people who are dying are the unvaccinated, I think most people have stopped caring, to be right. honest. <laughs> like, yeah, that's yeah. real harsh, but yeah. whatever. <laughs> it's, it's a very um, – so long as – I mean, people are always going to probably – eventually, once the vaccines um, kick in, what it will become like anything that is just a yearly booster. And yeah. so long as people aren't dying, it'll just become kind of like a flu of any yeah. description where people get sick. But if you're just sick, you're sick. And then you get better, yeah. you know, like anything else. It's just that, um, yeah, the only people who at this point with the Canadian numbers and the access to vaccines, the only people who are dying of COVID are the ones who are essentially choosing to at this point. So right. that's, I guess, as where long as at. the... Yeah, well, I mean, I feel badly for the vulnerable people who aren't able to get vaccinated, but that's a very, very, very small minority. The rest of them are choosing it. So yeah, I, I, I'm pretty hardline with things like that. So. Yeah, well, it's uh, 
Look, to be honest, there are just way too many people talking about their research. And their research is they read a couple of headlines, they listened to a wellness podcast, and, you know, now they'll just put avocado on themselves and they won't get it. And it's just so ridiculous and it's so dangerous and it is the... It's the biggest and uh, brightest example of the misinformation that people discover through the internet. In the past, it was, you know, like for a lot of the things were kind of, what, you believe the earth is flat? You're a fucking idiot. Like, but this is dangerous. And uh, to me, I must say, I honestly don't even give a lot of them that much credit. Like, I think the misinformation is a problem and I'm the first one to say it. Like I I fully agree with that. But I also think that there are a lot of people that are actively choosing it because they live in this oppression fantasy. I feel like there is definitely this breed and I think it has bred a lot through social media, which is still to blame with misinformation. But I feel like there's definitely this breed of privilege that is just any opportunity to be the victim. Any opportunity, they live in this oppression fantasy where no matter what, they need to be the one. Everyone's against me. I'm the one who's doing this. It's like, you're not that special. And I think I I genuinely think it's just the epitome of selfishness. Yeah. The concept to me that if you and I were in a room and someone said to me, hi, you need to take 15 minutes out of your day to do this. It will not affect your life at all negatively, but it could save Justin's life. In my mind, that's just not a choice. Yeah, okay, I'm down. Yeah. Like, it's just how this is even a debate is shocking to me. Yeah. And I think it's genuine selfishness. And I think misinformation, look, it exists and it's a major problem. But at the same time, I think it's giving these people too much credit to give them the out of, oh, I just didn't understand. You understand what you're doing at this point. You know what you're doing and you're making the choice to be selfish. Right. But also misinformation doesn't mean you have to go searching for it. And like misinformation Mm. can still come from your surroundings and other people talking and giving you a false sense of, you know, uh, I don't don't want to mention a friend of mine uh, by name because, you know, they are a friend. (laughs) No, 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 they are a friend. But they have made a terrible mistake over the weekend here and uh, put up a post on social media and you. I won't call it Freedom Day or having freedoms taken away. I'm just not using that word because I think it's too much. And she took it one step further and dropped the word segregation. And it was, you know, it's one of those times when you're looking at a friend going, that's awful. You are so in the wrong there. I haven't Mm. spoken to her yet because, because also it's funny She's being lambasted uh, on social media and... uh, I'm sure I posted about it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it's one of those things where (laughs) then there's this part of me that's like, uh, I I hate a pile on as well. Uh, And there's a little side of me that gets worried about the... um, Anyway, it's just very complicated, but her talking about it has been one of those things where it's like, I know her, you know, pretty well, and it wasn't really a surprise, and I'm like, oh, God, I just wished you had talked to someone who knows their shit. And when I first came to Canada, it was a really interesting thing um, that you mentioned that, because 
my close friends, like my best friend, when I first came to Canada, mm. we've been friends for months and months. And you just don't ask someone before the pandemic about their vaccination mm. status, especially mm. as an Australian. You generally, generally, sorry, just assume someone has had their vaccinations. Like yeah. it wasn't something we talked about, no. you know. And so I've been friends with this girl for months, like very close friends. And then when COVID happened and we were talking about like, oh, we just have to wait for a vaccine. This was early on in the pandemic. And I found out that her whole family were like full on anti-vaxxers. And I had never really met a full on anti-vaxxer. Like you kind of hear about them, but Mm. growing up in Sydney, like they're not like, you know, I mean, they're not prevalent as um, that misinformation. I think it's a different education system. I think, you know, it's, and it really like took me aback. And I think, in order to stay friends with her, I kind of rationalized it. Like I sort of went, okay, her mom was objectively like proper conspiracy theorist, anti-vaxxer. And I would sort of go, no, but she's not like, she's not an anti-vaxxer. She's just not vaccinated. Whatever the hell that means. right? And I would have in my head this idea that like, I would rationalize it. And then like a whole bunch of other stuff happened. And it turned out like, um, they turned out to be a lot more problematic for a number of reasons. And it kind of came down to it. And I remember like my mom saying, it's like, if you're going to be with people who are outwardly telling you that they think that their mild inconvenience is more important than the lives and lifestyles of others, can Mm. you really be shocked when they turn out to be extremely selfish? Like they're telling you who they are. And it was really hard for me and I've kind of now gone no if you I hate to be the person who takes a hard line on it but I don't really want to be friends with people who aren't vaccinated anymore like I've kind of reached yeah. a point where it's it feels like the like Trump argument in America where people are kind of like oh it's a difference of opinion it's not though it's mm. not if you if, if you are saying that it's not a difference of opinion you're actively saying that you value your like I don't know as I said before, oppression fantasy over the lives and well-being mm. of others, and I'm not okay with that. Yeah, there's another ex in. Uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty much certain I'm going to stay single now because it's uh, so many so many potential red flags. If they're racist, if they're sexist, if they're homophobic, if they're not vaxxed, if they have a different... <laughs> well, no, no, I'm not hanging out with anyone. It's, uh, that's what I'm saying. If you meet I'm anyone... Be and Justin, what? before the pandemic, I had pretty strict rules with who I dated that they couldn't be xenophobic, sexist. No, 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 but that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I'm saying now, now there's double, there's the anti-vaxxers on top of it. Exactly. It's like there's just you we know. Will find you a good woman. I don't Justin. want a good woman. <laughs> I want a bad woman. I want a I want a kick-ass woman. Anyway, but yeah, that's what I mean. It's it's another red flag to uh, yeah. add to the long list of uh, of issues. Uh, what's happening with your work? Because you've been at uh, that my work cafe. Is yes. Oh, is it? So um, it's so I manage a cafe here. It's called Lit Espresso Bar at Roncesvalles. I love it so much. Uh, and we are closing next week. Uh, oh. We are only now publicly announcing it. It's uh, been a long run through yeah. the lockdown. We've fought the good fight. Um, I'm devastated by it, honestly, yeah. even though I am leaving. Regardless, like it truly devastates me. The I'm devastated for the owners. Um, I'm very close with the owner of um, the main owner of the cafe. And I mean, at the start of the pandemic, I was the only staff member who would work 
Um, and I worked for nearly nine weeks, seven days a week to make this place keep going. And I know Joe, the owner, he has put in so much money, so much time and effort. And it's, it's like, I mean, obviously it's easy for me to say it's not about the money because it's not my money, but, um, it's more about like the emotional toll that has gone into this. I genuinely like the amount of unpaid work and the amount of love and time I've put into this cafe as well with everyone else. It's, it's hard to close at this part of the game. You know, like if you closed in March last year, that's one thing, but if you're closing now, it meant you really fought and it's really hard to turn around and go, we haven't made it and we are just going to have to call it. Um, So yeah. um, As of next week, if anyone listens to the podcast who's in Toronto, please, over the next bit before the 23rd, come by Lit Espresso Bar. Uh, Say yeah. to us. It's, it's existed sad. here on Monty 14 years. Uh, yeah. It's been here. It's an institution of the place. And there's a lot of people that um, Lit always had mother's groups in that. And we have customers who come in all the time and say they uh, it was the first place they brought their baby when they were able to like bring the baby out the house after the hospital. Yeah. And their kids are now 15. Yeah. And they're still regulars. So it's a it's a it's a hard thing. I mean, so many businesses have closed through this pandemic, but I sort of thought we'd make it. So I'm yeah. very sad to see it close. But now, this uh, the last uh, lockdown that we've just had here in Sydney, I've noticed a few more ple- uh, places mm. around Surrey Hills that, you know, they managed to get through that one last year and they were kind of getting back on track and now there's a there's a quite a few more places that are yeah. permanently shut down now and it, i always feel awful for those people like uh, small businesses just it's just been too hard well that's it like i mean we had 17 months and it was just constant and i mean we had takeout only we opened for a little bit of sit inside for like five minutes but then it was yeah. closed again um it's been takeout only this whole time but the reality is that people have just left the city and yeah. Like so many people have left this. There's just no one around to start with. And we've tried everything we did. We ran a GoFundMe for ages and uh, got thousands on that, um, which was like, I think we got about four grand on that in the end, which was amazing. Right. Honestly, yep. like that's incredible. Yeah. Um, and we have incredible regulars and we have had a huge amount of support from the neighbors that we could get. But the reality is that this is just a scenario that it doesn't seem to have a great ending and we've been waiting for this back to school rush or like I I, I think it's just we've hit a time now where we're just going to have to accept this rush isn't coming and yeah it's it's a hard choice that Joe's made um it is I think I mean as tragic as this the right one but Yeah, it's a it's a hard thing to accept though. I'm sad that when I come back to Toronto, I won't be able to visit. It's yeah. the best job I've ever had by far. It's done wonders, honestly, for my writing and everything. The amount of work I've got done here. I've recorded every episode of your podcast from this cafe. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I feel like I know the menu because you're always uh, sitting uh, with the menu behind you, and it's like I go to bed and I'm thinking. Uh, I- spend the rest of my day thinking, why do I want like a green lime smoothie or something? It's like, oh, I've been (laughs) subconsciously taking it in. It'll be one of those things that at some point, at least he can look back and think we gave it a shot and we did Mm. our best and at least he won't have any, you know, doubts of if if he could have done something else. But at the moment... uh, We we did everything. It's just very sad when like before the pandemic, when I started working here, you couldn't get a table. Like, I mean, it would be like a half hour wait to get a table. And we had about 30 tables in here. It right. is, was 
we had baking out the back and we ran our own kitchen that and it's just slowly dissolved. Like we've had to yeah. order in food because we had to get rid of the baking. We haven't like completely, I'm the only remaining staff member. Like there was, um, we have two baristas, new guys who've come on, um, but they work like uh, part-time, but I'm the only one of the original staff who's remained. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just, it's very sad that we didn't and we never got back to where we were. It makes me mm. sad that, like, we're going to end with three tables in the place. Yeah. That makes me really sad that um, we're not going to ever see it at its former glory and we can't send it out on that high. Um, that this will be, yeah, that, that makes me really sad. But I yeah. think it is just the story of so many businesses through this period and that is yeah. just the story of COVID-19 I'm parent. I'm like, unfortunately like that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's disappointing. It's a sad one, but it's, um, I'm excited to see what Joe and that do next. He owns a roastery, um, as well. Uh, and I'm excited. I think, you know, onwards and upwards and yeah. yeah. You know, one that's door closing, one door opening, that kind exactly. of thing. It's true. Uh, exactly. So- Only time will tell. Yeah. So we were, uh, we were discussing that, uh, you were coming back on the podcast and you said you wanted to watch the uh, talk to me about the Britney versus Spears Netflix special. And I thought uh, I managed to uh, squeeze in some time to watch it. And anyway, I don't quite know where to start because there is a, there's two things going on in this doco for me. One is I didn't quite like, I know broad strokes of, the Britney story, but I don't really know too much. And there's the extreme empathy you have for her. And, but the doco was... I I didn't like the documentary. It was weird. It was a bit to me, just firstly, heavy-handed. Like, I think, before we go any further, I should give a, like, for anyone who's not aware of this situation... Um, Britney Spears, she was uh, put under a conservatorship in 2008. Do you want to explain to everyone what that is? A conservatorship basically means that uh, you are deemed for some, uh, like, reason of, like, mental incapacity or something to that effect that you are no longer able to uh, be able to have control over your life. And there are two elements of a conservatorship. There is the, um, like, financial side of it and then there is the personal side of it. And at the time when this was put in place, it was after she had a rather public breakdown in 2007. And um, so... In early 2008, her father, Jamie Spears, was put in charge. He was the sole um, conservator of the personal, which basically means um, her life, everything that's going on, uh, who she sees, everything like that. And then he was put in as a co-conservator of her uh, financial situation and her money. That was put in place in February 2008. In July, it was extended again, and it was eventually made permanent or indefinite in October of that year. At that time, supposedly, this gave indefinite control over her estate and personal affairs, and she yeah, didn't publicly oppose it, and really, it didn't get that much airtime. Like, mm. no one really talked about it. It mm. was I didn't know she was in a conservatorship, neither did most people, until about 2019 when yeah. she stopped doing, she stopped doing um, performances and people became quite worried people started digging and it's sort of this free britney movement sort of started as a conspiracy theory almost yeah yeah 
I remember that. That's how kind of, to be honest, when that first started, because it did start like a weird kind of conspiracy theory and a very much an online one, yes. my first reaction to reading it was it it felt a little bit like uh, at first glance, more well, like when, you know, like uh, the artists from the uh, late 80s, early 90s, like uh, R.E.M. and uh, uh, Prince and George Michael all signed those big contracts and then found themselves kind of uh, creatively inhibited uh, mm. by those. And so that's kind of what my first reaction to it was. Oh, she signed up to something that's much long, longer term. She can't, kind of can't get out of it. So it was quite easy to be... Dismissive. Uh, yeah, dismissive. And, and also, dismissive sounds a little bit more, uh, sounds a bit crueler, but a little bit more, uh, yeah, I, I kind of feel like I get the general gist of that, but See, I've never I really been a Britney fan. Not, 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 not a Britney fan, but just, I'm the same. you know, yeah. I was a Britney fan when I was a kid, like little, yeah. but like I, I once again wouldn't have, if there was knowledge of the conservatorship and it, everyone was just sort of like, okay, I probably wouldn't have been across it. Like I wasn't mm. a big fan of hers. But when I first heard about it, it was more sort of the, she's sending messages in her Instagram videos. And I was like, mm. of course she is. You know, like mm. I was quite dismissive of it at the start because I didn't understand what we were talking about, you mm. know, and I wasn't a big enough fan to really be across it. So it's, only really came out in 2019 everyone started having these conversations around it but it was only sort of the really big Britney Spears fans who were kind of across what was going on Mm. and then um the controlling Britney Spears the first documentary came out yeah and all of a sudden people were like hang on a second this is actually very serious and The issue is that, firstly, this is not a standard length of conservatorships. Mm. They are not supposed to be these indefinite things that go on for decades Um, because you are literally taking away someone's liberty, their Mm. rights to their own life, and this is an adult. You know, it's a mother. She has has no control over anything, like Mm. to the point she can't control which doctor she sees. She can't hire her own lawyer. She yeah. can't spend money. She can't have, like, an allowance to buy a new dress at the shops. Like, nothing. And it is very over the top. So in order for something like that to be implemented and to be justified, she would have to be absolutely incapacitated mm. to, like, a huge degree. You yeah. know, she would have to be very severely unwell. Yeah. And yet Britney Spears was doing back-to-back residencies in Las Vegas, releasing albums. Yeah. So something didn't add up because yeah. you can't both be working at that level and producing at that level and performing at that level and also that incapacitated. Yeah. Like, something's not adding up there. Well, she appeared and- in uh, that episode of How I Met Your Mother. You see a little glimpse of that. She's really funny. In, the, in those yeah. scenes, you know, so she's acting as well. Remembering she's, lines. Yeah. Creating choreography, creating music. Yeah. Something's clearly not right in this scenario. So, and as time went on, like, I think people became more and more suspicious, especially mm. after this documentary and people started getting across it and the conversation started going, is this abusive? And then after the documentary came out and was explaining that this conservatorship um, was controlling literally who she saw, how mm. much time she was allowed to spend with someone. She was being basically surveilled. All this, it was massive um, over-the-top 
control. But on top of that, that she was funding all these people, like they had complete control over her finances to the point where she was funding the lawyers Mm. that were like defending the conservatorship. So she was literally paying the lawyers that were controlling her because she was funding everybody. All that she, her estate was paying the conservators, just everyone and huge over the top amounts. They were all on million dollar salaries. Yeah. Because of course they were. And it was starting to seem blatantly abusive. Right. And then in June of this year, um, she spoke at the hearing. And there was a court date and she spoke. And this was one of the first times she had spoke in however many years, uh, the first time she'd publicly spoken in yeah. a court date about this. And it was pretty heartbreaking to hear um, her get up and speak and blatantly accuse them of abuse and say that she has been horrifically abused over this period and name that she has absolutely no control over her financial affairs. She's uh, got an IUD that she doesn't want and she's not allowed to take out. They are medicating her with things that make her sick and she like has lithium. no control over it. Like you lithium. Like yeah. can't She can't choose doctors. She can't choose counsellors. Nothing. And it was blatantly abusive, like absolutely horrific to listen to. And she has no ability to even appoint her own lawyer. So she can't do anything, really. She has no ability to get out of it. The the part that uh, I found the most upsetting about that spoken uh, piece that you hear from her at the end (laughs) is she still has impeccable manners. Like she's, she's really got these lovely manners at the end of this hmm. where she's really angry. She's really upset, but she still thanks them for, you know, finally listening to her. And hmm. I found that kind of heartbreaking because there is, you know, it, it still shows you the, the, the real decency hmm. that's within she's this a decent person. person. Yeah. She's just very desperate. And yeah. I think that's how it came across to me, that this is a desperate, desperate woman who's been literally abused for 13 years here. It's yeah. quite horrific. And after that came out and there was a huge uproar, um, a new lawyer was hired in July. She was able to appoint her own lawyer. Um, and he has been able to have a huge effect, um, yeah. Matthew Rodenberg. So he's come out and um, come out swinging, basically. And he actually got Jamie Spears, her father, was suspended from his role as conservator with immediate effect on September 29th. So that was the day after the documentary was released. So this documentary that we've just watched, the Britney versus Spears. um, And soon and on um, November 12th, so upcoming, um, that is when the next hearing is scheduled and the conservatorship is actually expected to be re- dissolved at that time. Yeah. So yeah. this could all be coming to an end. I mean, don't speak too soon, but it has been requested for it to be dissolved. So that's what we're hoping for. But to circle back, that's basically the story of what is occurring right now. And, that, and, the, yeah. and the story is compelling and the story is, you know, it's it's – mind-boggling all the Mm. stuff that's gone on i've you know one of the things that i've always found the sexualization of uh of young people to be incredibly disturbing so even Mm. when she first hit on the scene and you know she was a cute kid wearing you know pretty sexy clothes and everything i always found it a little bit off-putting it's the same with like, I'm not a Justin Bieber fan, but I saw a, a, a news story years ago where there were 
women in their 40s screaming at him like they were teenage girls in supermarket appearances when he's 15, 16. And when... No wonder these people grow up and are kind of divorced from reality when they're dealing with that kind of energy, that kind of attention, and uh, and I have a lot of uh, empathy. Even though these are multi-millionaires who have a lot of opportunities and uh, get to express themselves through arts and make a lot of money out of it, the, the long-term damage is, is un- unmeasurable, I think, or it's, immeasurable. I think it's also on top of that. I think people love to kind of say, oh, well, if you go into this career, you know what you're getting involved in. And I would mm. argue that's not true. You don't. I don't no. know what that's like until you experience it. Like, no. I certainly couldn't say what that's like, you know. Yeah. It's not uh, – and is – do those things have to go hand in hand? The, what You want to release music, you want to sing, so therefore you have yeah. no right to privacy, no right to your own body, the way that people grab you and everything like that. But it's interesting you bring up Justin Bieber in this because the thing I think with this is um, in regards to Britney Spears – The justification for this conservatorship in the first place was that she was so unable to look after herself. And I would go, was she? Mm. Like, I just think a lot of the time, I question whether this would have happened if she was a man, to be really blunt. Yeah. I just would say there are a lot of celebrities I could name, Justin Bieber included, who broke a lot more laws and were a lot more off the rails than Britney Spears was on on her worst day. Yeah. And yet no one ever brought up the idea of taking away Justin Bieber's rights. Yeah. And not, and I'm not saying they should have either. They would have been wrong then too. I'm just yeah. saying I would, I think a lot of these sorts of things, there is definitely a level of misogyny involved in this. The oh, way yeah. that they have gotten away with this and yeah. the way that they have controlled her, I, I would say that if Britney Spears was a man, this never would have occurred ever. Yeah. Would yeah. not have even been contemplated. And I think that's disgusting on a completely different level. Um, and But I think that these things are upheld because it is easy to believe a lot of the time. I think that there's definitely still an existence of this hysterical, crazy female. Yeah. And it's easy to believe a lot. I mean, you know, every guy you meet has a crazy ex-girlfriend. Like, But I think that crazy, hysterical female who can't look after herself and needs men to come in and protect her is a narrative that seems to be heard way too often and is a bit Mm. disgusting. Not a bit disgusting, it's extremely disgusting. And that is one thing that stood out to me through this documentary, that there was just this constant line of misogyny that was running through it, the birth control way. Yeah, it just, yeah, that really bothered me throughout it. Um, However, I one thing just to um, bring it back to the documentary, like putting the story itself aside for a second... The documentary, I didn't love that it seemed to be very heavily focused around the opinions of ex-boyfriends of hers. Oh, I found that so strange. I found it so strange. have quite publicly not been great to her. Yeah. They are kind of put forward in this documentary to be like her saviours as these people who've been fighting mercilessly for the freeing of Britney Spears. And it's like... Were you, were you? It felt very. I'm looking for my 15 minutes of fame to me. Yeah, there, there's something weird about the whole doco where even um, 
you know, even the two women who are the... I didn't uh, like them. No, Aaron, no Aaron, that was mean. I didn't right. like them. They seemed yeah. lovely. I mean, I didn't like how they were put forward. No, no, no. I, I wasn't quite into what they were doing uh, within the uh, the doco. Part of what I didn't really understand was the, you know, the, uh, was it, uh, I can't find her name. There was the, the Rolling Stones journalist who, look, I think she's uh, Jenny, Jenny Aliscu. She is... And the other one was Erin Lee Carr. And Erin Lee Carr, and the, yeah. and the director. I, I do believe that they have a lot of empathy for her. I do believe that they really care for her. I do I did believe all of that. Yeah. But there was also, there was just something a bit weird where it was like, like Jenny sort of says, oh, yeah, I wasn't really a fan. I had to do the interview. I met her and I liked her. And and now I'm involved in this. And it's like, it, it just didn't, it felt like there was something lacking in the documentary storytelling where I kind of, I, I didn't quite know her. I, I, I didn't know Jenny at the end of it. I didn't really I know her I motivations. I who they were. Yeah. I couldn't quite work out, like, they sort of explained it in regards to, like, she was a Rolling Stone journalist who met yeah. her in that. But I couldn't quite work out how they were in any way connected to the story. It yeah. seemed very much like if I made a documentary about Britney Spears today because I was a fan when I was eight. Well, at least at least Jenny was involved in, you know, trying to get some of the uh, information out for her and that. But even that, oh. you, you know, part of part of the issue I had with the, the documentary was weirdly, like this is going to sound like a weird complaint, but it needed to be longer. It needed to be like a few episodes because there's whole periods of time where it's like I agree. all of this stuff's happening. And now it's five years later. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. But what, what happened? What happened? Has she just been locked in a room? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it seemed for periods there were things skipped over. But then it just also seemed like they focused hugely, like they were really trying to write in these ex-boyfriends. Like oh, It yeah. felt like we spent like half an hour on the journalist she dated for the whole of 15 minutes back in the day. And right. I was like, look, I'm real glad they were like, whatever. I'm glad he's now on the right side of history now. Right. But what relevance has that got to do with absolutely anything? Like it just, it felt, well, honestly, every... overall, the documentary to me, like once again, putting aside the story, putting aside everything, the documentary felt ingenuine. It felt to yeah. me like they were hiding something. Like, just to me, because, and I think, and I'm not saying they are hiding something, to be clear, but what I, it felt to me because it was not clear who they were and why they were there, that wasn't really connected. It felt just sort of like, I, I don't know. And it also, to me, it also, the other problem I had with it was it was, at times very tacky, the portrayal. I felt like the way that they would do yeah. these voiceovers and stuff, it felt like it, I felt like I was listening to a really bad true crime documentary. Oh, watching, you know, one of the things that was a giveaway, exactly what you're talking about is we're going to show you some of the real text messages and then they do the of the text being written. But then but then those messages, there was nothing interesting about them. They could have been text messages from anyone. There was nothing to actually tell you that that was Britney or who she was talking to. But there was all the, every time they spoke about her dad, you did the slow zoom in on his face. Uh, Right. And you you don't need to do that because he's already creepy. Like we know he's creepy. Like it it just felt like they were, they were really making these, like really taking advantage of like really crappy tropes. And it came across as very tacky to me. It came across as a, and I feel like it trivialized the story. 
because this is a genuine issue and there is genuinely a woman being abused and it felt to me like it was it had trivialized the story to make it dramatized in a story that didn't need dramatization this is a very dramatic story already we don't need to know about the feelings and that was the other thing we got to the end and one of the ex-boyfriends like I literally have not spoken to her or had any contact with her at all in 13 years. Right. It's like, well, why are you here? Like, why are you here? I, <laughs> I felt like, I felt like uh, just about every guy that appeared, it was like, well, why didn't you do more at the time? Like, you know, it's it's all fine and dandy to come out now and, you know, be teamed up. There, there, was, there was one guy that I was a little bit, curious about in in a more positive way it was the guy that um seemed to be close to her for a little bit but uh i I don't know if he actually i don't think they dated he was the one who went to the court room uh towards the end i think uh i I found him to actually be the most genuinely interesting one because i don't think he dated but i think he and i think there was a i think he was the only one who sort of said uh, if i spoke to her i'd I just kind of realized that I didn't do enough for her and I'd apologize. And, yeah, it's, it and, felt and like he was a bit gen- of accountability wouldn't have killed a lot of them. Yes. And I think he did have <laughs> that sense of it. Even when he talked about it, I felt like there was a deep kind of sadness to it. And he, <clears> he knew that he was complicit in, even if it was only a little bit, adding to her woes by not being there properly for her. But the rest of them, I'm sitting there going. I don't know. All of your stories are fucking dodgy and yes. I'm not into any of you. You know can I can I say who my MVP was? The the one yeah. person that I went, nah. I I loved the I loved her dancer friend mm. who, you know, when they went and caught up and but it for me it was uh Felicia Culotta who was the one who was the former assistant who would just she would just say, I'm not talking about that. No, I'm not doing that. She felt oh, like- yeah, she was dodgy as, what do you got to lose? Let them sue you. Yeah, <laughs> but she was she was my MVP in that I I actually felt, see, I, I thought, I didn't think she was dodgy. She just kind of knows the shit that would come from it. And I kind of felt like she was keeping some things closer to her chest because I she felt like the only person who was actually making a doco where she wasn't placing herself first and forefront in the spotlight. I felt like she was holding stuff back. Yeah. I actually thought, you know, it's like someone who is deep in and is taking stuff on board. Who's a little bit, you know what? You don't need to know about that. You don't need to know about this. Yeah. It's not relevant. So you don't need the dirty details. Yeah. No, I hadn't thought of it like that. To me, I thought of thought she was, she came across to me as cagey, but no, I think you're probably right on that. I thought, but to me, it just felt at times very, um, just, yeah. All the guys to start with, it felt like they were just reaching out for their 15 minutes of fame. But the whole time I was watching it, I, I could just think, like, and obviously I hate to do the thing where it's kind of like, if it was me, here's what I would do when it's a situation I will never be in. And I'll never right. <laughs> I just mean, I just have trouble believing if I had a close friend who I was really close to and I did everything with and I really cared for their well-being and I thought they were good. And then I watched as I was no longer allowed to see them. They were no longer allowed out the house. They were crying to me. I was, I was getting them away and I was driving them away to go to safe havens at people's houses because they were scared. They were being followed. They were being surveilled. They weren't allowed to see their children. 
I just have trouble believing I'd be like, right, well, have fun, Justin. I'm off. I've got no yeah. longer my problem. Bye. Yeah. Like, what? Like, that was the thing. He's one of the guy's stories was just kind of like, he was rushing and getting her away because he was scared for her. He was taking her to these places and all of a sudden her dad was like, uh-uh, you aren't allowed to see her anymore. And he just drove into the sunset and then showed up 13 years later like, mm, yes. I'm on the right side of history. Yes, no, I agree totally. It's like all these assholes who fucking work out with their fucking tattoos and their fucking greasy <laughs> hair and their fucking cool bandanas driving around in their fucking nice cars. And as soon as daddy says, I don't want you seeing her anymore, they're like, oh, yeah, no. No worries. Okay, I'll go right. Oh, fuck. Oh, sorry about that. I'll drive off. Nah, fuck all of those guys. He's up and he's going, oh, I was always worried about it. Not worried really? enough to yeah. what, send a tweet. Yeah. Like, any of you people could have gotten up and made noise about this yeah. 13 years ago. If yeah. it's been this bad for that long, which it clearly has because she was speaking about it and as they found evidence in 2008 before it was made permanent, she was talking about how... She, like, related it to prison and said something to the effect of at least that prison has an ending date, this doesn't. Mm. Like, so she was clearly being unhappy and being being abused for this entire time. And what? why did we not know about this is mm. what's bothering me. If all these people were aware of how bad it was in 2008, mm. what, you just thought you'd sit on that? Mm. Look, I, I don't know. It all felt very ingenuine to me. And I think that was my biggest problem with it was it felt like they had dramatised the story and made sympathetic characters out of people who really didn't deserve to be sympathetic characters. They didn't even deserve to have their name back in the limelight. And that's what bothers me is why are we giving fame and 15 minutes to these people who, quite frankly, have at best enabled yeah, I'd love to know what the original idea for the uh, documentary was going to be because you know suddenly everything's moving quickly. You, you know, you, you know this would have started being made with plenty of time, and then and then suddenly you know the court dates are happening. I'd love to know what rewriting went into the documentary for it to be. Mm, uh, I would question that, but I also I just the other thing about this documentary was it felt like just the whole documentary was jumping on a bandwagon. I'm just not sure what I learned from that documentary that I didn't learn from Controlling Britney Spears, the first one. Yeah. This one was released very conveniently when it was already hot. It was already something they knew they would make money off. And that's what it felt like to me. It felt like they were jumping on a bandwagon as opposed to actually putting anything in for Britney Spears. I I felt, see... I felt that the uh, you know the Rolling Stone journalist and uh, and Aaron the filmmaker I think I think their intentions are good I just didn't think it was a very good documentary and uh, and I think it, I honestly think if you're going to do something like this this needs to be like at least three episodes you know mm-hmm. three ninety minute episodes or something there was just too much where the focus was on the wrong people. Uh, they skipped over stuff that felt important and then some of the people that I think I would have actually been on their side and had empathy for, I just didn't really have any sense of who they were. So, therefore, it did feel disingenuous and it's a bit like... uh, Having said that, if someone wants a broad overview of the situation, I don't think it's a bad documentary to watch, but I would kind of watch it in a way while you're doing... Why are you getting dinner ready before you actually watch the Mm. good one? (laughs) I was going to say, I would recommend if you really want an overview, I'd recommend the other one first. I think it had a, it was a lot more genuine, but even it though, quite frankly, I do think it, I, I, I mean, it's sort of such a hard thing. It's, 
it's very obvious that Britney Spears had no party either. But obviously, because of the conservatorship, she couldn't have a party either. Do, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's kind of a crappy thing for me to say, like, kind of like, they should have consulted Britney Spears. Clearly, they couldn't. Um, but just to me, it was just very obvious. It just felt like there was a lot of stuff that was added in that I don't think added to the story, like, added to you understanding what was occurring that added to you being on Britney Spears' side and just would have been embarrassing information. A lot Mm. of stuff that was just included just felt like another documentary or media outlet taking advantage of Britney Spears' names. Mm. I I think both documentaries just added information that didn't need to be added. And Mm. it felt like I was invading her privacy by watching it. And I don't think there was information I needed to be told in order to be on her side and to care about this. So I just, yeah, I'm sure that everyone involved had good intentions and I think that they did. But I feel like by glossing over, as you said, it felt disingenuous. Yeah, I feel like I, I wish the, the the director and the Rolling Stones uh, uh, journalists had maybe just held on to everything they had and then wait until you can speak to Brittany and then, then mm. suddenly if you hear her opinions on those guys then each one of their interviews takes on a different kind of frisson and it becomes more interesting and it becomes more insightful into them because we know how she actually feels but without mm. any anything to contrast it with you have to kind of sit there going nah i reckon you're dodgy nah i don't trust you nah i reckon i reckon you're just trying to be as you said before on the right side of history when it's well past its use by date yeah it, and it also just felt like they've jumped on this just at such a convenient time for them yeah when i'm pretty sure one of them like they've all kind of popped up randomly at other times too. Like I'm pretty sure one of them like was trying to sell stories about her or something yeah. ages ago. Like it just sort of felt to me, you guys could have blown this whistle a very long time ago. Yeah. And you chose not to. And you chose not to. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Uh, we <laughs> are getting towards uh, the end, so I'm going to have to uh, get moving. But where can uh, people find you on the socials? So she was at Rachel Melanta on everything. On everything. It's so handy. <laughs> and I guess the next time we chat, you'll be in Chicago. I will be. That's exciting. That's really exciting. What's the it first is. thing you're going to do when you get there? Do you have a plan? Um, Apart I'm from moving? going to just have the best nap. Honestly. Right. <laughs> I feel like two years of severe anxiety has just crashed down on me. Yeah. I plan to get there and just sleep probably for a week. <laughs> oh, yeah. God, a week's sleep. That sounds delicious. Uh, <laughs> all right. Thank you very much, Rachel. Thanks, Justin. Thank you to Rachel for dropping by today and good luck with the move to the States. I'm looking forward to hearing what happens next in her adventures and sharing them with you. A big thank you to Ryan Moore, our Patreon subscriber for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and thank you for all of your support and well wishes over the past couple of years. Ryan's been very nice and sent me uh, incredibly sweet emails, especially when I have been deep in lockdown. So I hope you're well and in a good place and with everything finally opening up. I hope you're having a good time. If you'd like to check out the Patreon, head over to the site and look for Justin Hamilton Big Squid and you can join through whichever tier feels most comfortable. Look, if money is tight, and I totally get that, it's been a rough couple of years, but there's a part of you that would still like to contribute, 
why not just leave us a top review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us or even word of mouth. That's a really good way to get us out there. Maybe recommend us to someone who is like-minded like you and me. One more podcast coming this week, part two of our science fiction limited series, Space Podacy. We launched last week with a double episode. Uh, in that one, we explored 2001 A Space Odyssey. This week, it's Scarlett Johansson in the cult classic Under the Skin. So if you haven't seen it and you'd like to watch it before the podcast drops on Thursday, uh, you've got a bit of time to check it out. Let's finish this episode with a quote from Britney Spears. For me, success is a state of mind. I feel like success isn't about conquering something. It's about being happy with who you are. Yeah, that's a, that's a good quote, don't you think? I tend to agree with that. I hope you are happy with who you are. Until then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.